0: You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can-eat-more... getting this book on ufo's did you know they're real but there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up oh that's just a paranoid fantasy i want to be a book you can pick me
1: up flip through my pages make sure nobody drew wieners in me
0: And welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we broke a mirror and were given seven years bad podcasting. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, Britain's foremost expert on unflavored sparkling water. Benedict! What's a common everyday thing that grosses you out? <laughs> Holding oh, out on you because of the, the fuck long, up earlier.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, a long one. Um, that is that is mayonnaise, Kevin. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Really, Ben? This,
0: this is the first time I've ever heard this yeah, before. It's well, not like we no, had a screwed up I, okay. recording earlier, and you've already said this, and now we're faking. So, Here's,
1: uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Kevin said that he didn't think I could do this as a 100% natural segment having already talked about it once and he's not even giving me a chance because am giving a fake reaction. You know why
0: I'm not? Because you why? did the count in and that's my job. <laughs> that's my job okay well you weren't
1: hurrying to count in anyway something I would add so the answer is mayonnaise and but not when I don't know that there's mayonnaise mm-hmm. in something because I like the taste of mayonnaise but the concept of mayonnaise is disgusting the other exception so to so just this,
0: just imagine all the funny things I said about that on yeah, the earlier yeah, record obviously
1: nothing you didn't miss anything um, uh, the, the other exception to this is that if it's branded as aioli instead of mayonnaise <laughs> I love that shit I can't get enough of it. You bastard. Give me, give me all the aioli in the world. That is literally all you have to do to trick me
0: into eating mayonnaise. So mayonnaise plus $5 and you're in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mayonnaise, but make it French. <laughs> I, I think mayonnaise that. probably already is
0: French, isn't it? It's a French sounding uh, Oil and eggs sounds pretty French to me. Yeah. It sounds it's pretty a, French just as a concept. Add some,
1: add some garlic. Love it give it to me all the time what about you what's your disgusting fine
0: fine. now i know how to trick you at least
1: what's your disgusting
0: uh oh band-aids band-aids oh really even if they were on me can't can't stand them can't stand thinking about them just gross band-aids no No, that's why I I don't even have band aids in my house. If I cut myself, I wrap myself up in a paper towel or something. No. What happened when
1: you when 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 you got the vaccine? Did you put a band aid on me? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I took it off. Do that. Speaking of
0: which, nice way to drop that you and I are both vaccinated now.
1: That's it. Well, I am. I don't know about you.
0: Well, you got the second shot. I'm still. I got I'm the still, second one. I'm in the interstitial period between uh, <laughs> much first like and this second episode. Sh- much like this episode, yes, I'm in between the first and second shots. But I'm, uh, you know, I, I felt uh, it work its way into my brain and take control as it's supposed mm. to do. Stop That's fighting right. it, everyone. Just let it happen, obviously. Um, and of course, we all know now this was planned because of Bill Gates' breakup with his wife. It's his whole thing. Oh, mm. I don't want to get into it. But anyways. Benedict, do yep. you have a hot take for us this I, week? Do.
1: I do, I do. Well, I have two, and one of them is that you should give black pudding a chance. No, um, not happening, <laughs> not happening. The second of which, Kevin texted me and asked what black pudding was even for, and the obvious answer is to make an English breakfast, perfect. The uh, second one uh, is another food, food-related one. Is that anything that could be could be done with a potato and isn't is a pale imitation of what could be done
0: with a potato?
1: <laughs> what so did you have that, some sweet potato fries? N- and you're well, mad yeah, about it? but that's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking about. Like anything that like would like people shouldn't just shouldn't do stuff that is clearly meant for potatoes. Oh yeah, I'm a hundred
0: percent in favor of the stop trying to trick us into eating healthy <laughs> thing. Just stop let trying us, to replace potatoes. <laughs> let us eat the garbage we really want. But nobody wants your stupid sweet potato nobody wants that's right
1: that's right i don't even think it's
0: really healthier than a regular potato is it? no
1: it's not it's got more sugar in it and otherwise (laughs) has the same (laughs) chemical components
0: yeah so stop trying to trick us with that garbage anyways maybe it has more fiber
1: i feel like i've heard benefits of that i don't know it might actually have less sugar i don't know i don't i'm not an expert on the sugar levels of various potato types if i'm honest but it sounds like it should have more sugar Right? Sweet, because it's sweet. we know that's how science works. Even though
0: the, the sweet part is technically a lie, because fuck you, yeah. sweet potatoes.
1: <laughs> exactly. What about you? What's your hot take?
0: Me Benedict, I have to say that this week I thought long and deep about it. Mm. Deep, deep, deep. Uh, sure. And uh, my hot take this week is that forgiveness is overrated. Okay. Uh, <laughs> mainly because over the weekend I finally watched uh, The Innocence Files on Netflix – uh, which mm. is about the great work that The Innocence Project does. So if any of you are considering giving money to somebody other than us over on Patreon, uh, go give them to The Innocence Project. They do amazing mm. work. But uh, everyone who's profiled on that show, who was exonerated, for some reason they all talk about forgiveness. And mm-hmm. for me, I, I just I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I see no reason to forgive. If somebody locked you up for 30 years, took 30 years of your life away I do not comprehend why it would possibly be necessary to forgive that person or organization or group of people.
1: I mean, there's an interesting point there, isn't there, about the the system that does something versus the individuals that work within that system, and you can forgive the individuals for the actions that they take as part of that system, but not necessarily the system as a whole. I
0: I don't even think forgiving the people is necessary. I think honestly, this is my position, I I did spend a good amount of time thinking about this over the last couple of days, is that uh, I think that the concept of the necessity of forgiveness that we think about uh, Mm. it, it may have some there may be some psychological thought on that, but I think the majority of it flows out of Christian teachings, which I don't believe in and don't care about. So, mm. you know, I don't see the necessity of it. Um, if it's better for my health to forgive someone, that's fine. But I don't yeah. spend time dwelling on people I haven't forgiven. I simply don't forgive them and move on. I can do the <laughs> same thing you do, you talk about, with forgiving people and moving on. I simply don't forgive them and move on.
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. I I, I just think... I, there is a concept to it of like, I don't know, I, I think systemic problems versus individual actions is probably to me is a bit more complex than, than what you're presenting. But I totally understand your position. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. fine.
0: Yeah, sure. I just, I'm just I'm just saying I'm not saying it's it's completely uh, I'm not saying forgiveness is a bad thing. Right. Obviously, no. it's not a bad thing. I know. You just it, you don't have to do it. Yeah, yeah it's sure. overrated. Sure. If we stress it so much I really think it's overrated
1: but anyway yeah I, I, I mean as you say though a lot of the time it is it is better for the individual to f- like be able to feel they've forgiven something and moved on it like, that's, might
0: if it's something you're dwelling on that's affecting your psyche and your mental health all that it might be better mm. for you. Maybe I'm just a sociopath and I'm capable of stu- this Certainly weird possible. non-forgiveness and moving on thing that I described. This
1: podcast is just a study, me studying <laughs> you, by the way. This is, this is part of my dissertation. Yeah. This is my, my, my thesis.
0: <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, this is, of course, as you know, but the listener may not be aware, the show where we dig down deep, so deep, 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 into the ocean of right-wing thought in search of the one lone mythical giant squid of correct right-wing thought down at the bottom, which we still have not found, and I don't suspect ever will. Uh, But this, of course, is an interstitial week. It's not a week where we're doing a brand new chapter of our ongoing review of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck. So this week we have something special, and like we did a couple weeks ago, we're starting off a new series for the interstitial episodes that we're doing this week. Because I found something, I, I picked this up a while back, actually, and I think I talked about it on the show, I found a book by an individual I find fascinating. Mm. Because a lot of the fringiest fringe of the right goes back to this guy and the stuff that he did and wrote. And the individual okay. I'm talking about is a gentleman known as Gary Allen. Benedict, mm. are you familiar at all? Uh, only from what I've heard from you, I haven't done much yes.
1: uh, investigation
0: so this guy, his, his full name is Frederick Gary Allen. was born on mm. August 2nd, 1936. Uh, and the, the first line of his Wikipedia page I find outstanding is, was an American conservative writer and conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I think they got right to the point cool. with yep. that one. <laughs> yep, yep. They, don't, they don't even try and I mean, I'm sure you'd, if you go to Alex Jones's page, it says the same thing. I'm pretty sure, right?
1: Probably, Something yeah.
0: similar to any extent. But Gary Allen, and the reason I bring up Alex Jones there, is Gary Allen is a huge influence on the fringe right, including Alex Jones. Alex Jones says that one of the first books he read as a young child that woke him up to everything that's going on is, in fact, the book we're going to be going over in this new ongoing series in the interstitial episodes. I'm excited. It
1: says uh, Alex Jones is is an American far-right radio show host and conspiracy theorist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah but, it's true. Alex Jones has never written any books, so you can't say conservative true. writer. He's
1: not a conservative <laughs> author, yeah.
0: No, no, no. But so uh none dare call it conspiracy is the name of the book that we're going to be going over for the you know foreseeable future of these interstitial episodes. We're gonna do it rather than the typical both of us reading and, and commenting on it style. We're gonna do it in the style of me reading selections out of the book to Benedict.
1: uh, Giving me an
0: aneurysm. (laughs) Giving you some serious mental health issues, to say the least. But I want to talk a little bit, to start off with, right, like we usually do with these authors, about Gary Allen. So Gary Allen was born in uh, Glendale, California. Uh, Went to Stanford University. So this explains a lot. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Explains a lot uh, and majored in history there. Mm-hmm. And he was a member of the infamous John Birch Society, which I think has okay. come up before. So
1: he, I, I mean, not to over-lionize Stanford, but he should have a basic idea of what he's talking about.
0: N- no. It, it's Stanford. <laughs> what are you talking about? Co- okay. It's a crappy junior college in Palo Alto. I don't know. I don't understand what you, you're talking about.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, you should go to a real school like Berkeley uh-huh. across the bay. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Remember the John Birch Society, which uh, part of the reason I also want to do this is the John Birch Society figures into a lot of the fringe right and a lot of the libertarian right, especially when we get into the heavy anti-communist folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, The John Birch Society was an early organization in the United States uh, throughout the middle of the last century that was surprisingly influential for how batshit crazy they were, right? Mm -hmm. These are the people who were screaming that uh, Dwight Eisenhower was a communist, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, And
1: that Mitt Romney is a communist. Yes, they're still doing that
0: today, right? While the organization may be much smaller today, the thoughts that they had are still around. same stuff. So, Gary Allen had a relatively uneventful life. He worked for uh, George Wallace as a speechwriter. Interesting. (laughs) Right? The segregationist third-party campaign uh, for president in, uh, I think it was 68, I think it was when uh, George Wallace ran. And, of course, thankfully lost. Yes. Uh, But he spent the rest of his life mainly just writing books. And he didn't live very long. He died in 1986. He's only 50 years old. Uh, But he was a prolific writer of a number of batshit crazy conspiracy theory books and articles. But, Benedict, I wanted to give you a taste by reading some of the uh, blurbs on the back of this book. And this book, uh, I should mention, was published back in 1972, I believe. Yes, 1972 is when this book was published. So the first one is from Ezra Taft Benson, the former Secretary of Agriculture. And it reads, I wish that every citizen of every country in the free world and every slave behind the Iron Curtain might read this book. This seems seems rather benign, I think, compared to what's actually in the pages of this book, once you see what's in here. The next one, Benedict, is by Dan Smoot, former assistant to J. Edgar Hoover who writes, Okay. NDCC is an admirable job of amassing information to prove that communism is socialism, and socialism, parenthetical, a plot to enslave the world, is not a movement of people of the downtrodden, but a scheme supported and directed by the wealthiest of people. If enough Americans read and act upon NDCC, they really can save the republic from the conspirators, whose plans for destruction of our country are galloping fast towards completion. riot. Very good Interesting. stuff. Interesting. Yeah, good stuff so far. Very good stuff. And the last one is from Dean Clarence E. Mannion, who was the former dean of Notre Dame Law. And he wrote, Whatever one dares to call the apparatus described and documented in this book, he will ignore it at his peril. 1972 may well be our last chance to defuse this destructive device. This book tells you how you can expose and demolish it. <laughs> 1972, man, that was the
1: last chance. I'll <laughs> say so. it, we missed it. We missed so to it. give you
0: an idea, better of what this book is about, right? I think that you, you can you can guess based on what those blurbs say on the back. But this is, make no mistake, a conspiracy theory rant. Complete mm. with everything you would expect from a crazy uncle on Facebook today. And I mean that entirely sincerely. It is full of absolutely unnecessary capitalized words and Did. italics and very, very poor writing. I mean, it's it's definitely very poorly written. and I And I love it. But the general thrust of this book is, as you may imagine, there is an international communist conspiracy run by the global elites to... Destroy America? We'll see as we go through this book. Sure. So, Benedict, why don't we get started with it, with chapter one, which is entitled, Don't Confuse Me With Facts. Okay. (laughs) And I promise you, he won't. No. (laughs) And it begins, ahem, most of us have had the experience, either as parents or youngsters, of trying to discover the hidden picture within another picture in a children's magazine. Usually, you're shown a landscape with trees, bushes, flowers, and other bits of nature. The caption reads something like this. Concealed somewhere in this picture is a donkey pulling a cart with a boy in it. Can you find them? Try as you might, usually you could not find the hidden picture until you've turned to a page farther back in the magazine, which would reveal how cleverly the artist had hidden it from us. (laughs) I like to imagine... (laughs) that this guy literally was never able to find the hidden thing inside the picture.
1: <laughs> never found where's Waldo either. Just... No,
0: I, I think he was never able to find the actual hidden picture. He just kept drawing a giant hammer and sickle on it when he thought that was hidden behind the picture. <laughs> maybe, maybe. He continues a few uh, paragraphs down. Millions of Americans are concerned and frustrated over mishappenings in our nation. They feel that something is wrong, drastically wrong, but because of the picture painters, they can't quite put their finger on it. Maybe you are one of those persons. Something is bugging you, but you aren't sure what. We keep electing new presidents who seemingly promise faithfully to halt the worldwide communist advance, put the blocks to extravagant government spending, douse the tea of inflation... I have no idea what that means. I tried mm. to find another use of the phrase dows the tea. I could not find it anywhere. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't Are you know familiar with tea heard. dows? You know no, more about I, tea I, than me. I
1: don't, I don't think I've ever heard it. No.
0: I, I have no idea. I've never heard that used anywhere. It's wonderful. No. Yet despite the high hopes and glittering campaign promise, these problems continue to worsen no matter who is in office. Each new administration, whether it be Republican or Democrat, continues with the same basic policies of the previous administration, which it had so thoroughly denounced during the election campaign. And so I wanted to read some of that bit from the intro there because it shows us something similar that we've seen, I think most recently, in Glenn Beck, which is the faux reasonableness and faux uh, third view of what's mm-hmm. going on, right? Standing yeah, yeah, outside yeah. and saying, both sides are wrong. Both sides have... I'm just pointing out problems, man. That's what it reads like to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's setting the standard for, for that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, he continues on. Those who believe that major world events result from planning are laughed at for believing in the conspiracy theory of history, in scare quotes. Of course, no one in this modern day and age really believes in the conspiracy theory of history, except those who have taken the time to study the subject. When you think about it, there are really only two theories of history. Either things are happening by accident, neither planned nor caused by anybody, or they happen because they are planned in italics, and Mm -hmm. someone causes them to happen. In reality... (laughs) It is the accidental theory of history preached in the unhallowed halls of Ivy which should be ridiculed. Otherwise, okay. why does every recent administration make the same mistakes as the previous ones?
1: Okay, but th- this dude studied history in the basically ha- unhallowed halls of Ivy. At a junior right? college. Yeah. At okay, a junior college,
0: right. yes. I'll I'll never acknowledge Stanford as, as anything, really. You know I won't do that. Okay. Why do they repeat the errors of the past which produce inflation, depressions, and war? Why does our State Department stumble, in scare quotes, from one communist aiding blunder to another? Wow. If you believe it is all an accident or the result of mysterious and unexplainable tides of history, you will be regarded as an intellectual, in scare quotes, who understands that we live in a complex world. If you believe that something like 32,496 consecutive coincidences over the past 40 years stretches the law of averages a bit, you're a kook. (laughs) So, of course, you can see where this is going. He he is the only one who's recognized that all these things are happening on purpose. There's someone causing all these as-of-yet-undescribed things to be happening, (laughs) which are somehow aiding communists and hurting the United (laughs) States. Why wouldn't that? While professors and pontificators profess to be tolerant and broad-minded, in practice, it's strictly a one-way street with all traffic flowing left. A Maoist can be tolerated by liberals of ivory towerland or by the establishment's media pundits, but to be a conservative, and a conservative who propounds a conspiratorial view, is absolutely verboten. Better you should be a drunk at a national WCTU convention. That's the Women's Christian Temperance Union.
1: Very dated
0: reference. (laughs) I know, right? But look, uh, the reason why I highlighted this is obviously we've heard basically this exact— Yeah, nothing's
1: really changed.
0: (laughs) Nothing changed. The longer things remain, the more they stay the same. Mm -hmm. It's just the same thing over and over again. So he continues. I'm going to skip down a little bit. He says, such was the case with the author of this book— it was only because he set out to prove the conservative anti-communists wrong that he happened to end up writing this book. So, Benedict, this book was written in 1972, of course. Mm-hmm. He claims that it's only because he was trying to prove the anti-communists wrong that he ended up coming up with this whole book this and is, all these arguments yeah, and all the, these discoveries, right? Yeah,
1: this is like why I left the left. Like,
0: Well, Benedict, would it surprise you to know that back in 1966... Gary Allen published an article titled The Grapes, Communist, Wrath, and Delano. Mm. Or that, in fact, he taught, in 1968, he penned an article titled Negroes, What Liberal Racists Never Mention. Oh, from yeah. which I would like to read you the first paragraph. I'd rather you didn't. Well, Benedict, we need to know about Gary Allen. No. It reads, and, and there's trust me, it's not just because of Gary Allen that you need to hear this. It reads, okay. quote, As our liberal, in scare quotes, newspapers and radio and television newscasters dwell more and more upon the rant of hate-crazed black nationalists pledging to burn down America's cities as they trumpet Stokely Carmichael's return from the capitals of the communist world to call for open guerrilla warfare as they publicize Martin Luther King's plans to invade and disrupt Washington itself. As the pyramid of racial hate builds, devoutly patriotic Negro leaders work without fanfare on constructive and realistic solutions to the very real problems faced by colored Americans. Holy shit. Have we heard a whole lot of that these days? Yeah,
1: similar. Catched in different terms, but yeah.
0: Benedict, this guy worked for George Wallace. Yeah, I mean. In 1968 when he published this. Yeah, not hugely surprising. (laughs) And it's the same thing we hear today. Like you said, right? Switch up those words a little bit, modernize it, and, you know, take Martin Luther King out, put put Black Lives Matter in there, right? And you've got exactly what they're saying today. It's Mm -hmm. not even two degrees of separation, really, here. No. no. Wow, it was astonishing to me when I read that. When I was is like, it really
1: is it astonishing to you, or is that exactly what you would expect? I mean, it's more astonishing that the right hasn't evolved its arguments. Much.
0: I think. Well, I think that's what astonished me yeah. is that they really have gone nowhere from then to now. It's amazing to me how much of a straight line it is through history from 1968 to
1: 2021, whatever year.
0: Yeah, at. yeah, 2020. So anyway. Uh, He continues on. Most intellectuals, pseudo and otherwise, deal with the conspiratorial theory of history, which is what he's calling his thing now, simply by ignoring it. They never attempt to refute the evidence. It can't be refuted. Mm -hmm. If and when the silent treatment doesn't work, these objective scholars and mass media opinion molders resort to personal attacks, ridicule, and satire. However, the most effective weapons used against the conspiratorial theory of history... Are ridicule and satire <laughs> mm. I skipped a couple sentences in there But I wanted to point out <laughs> That he says that Oh they're so bad at refuting us And then says well I mean they're really good with the ridicule and satire Yeah
1: yeah pretty good at dunking on us actually That's, uh, that's the best this is way to
0: This is the oh man Why can't we This is Dave Rubin standing up and saying You know the right needs to have more comedians We really need to work on that yeah.
1: <laughs> We're winning the meme wars
0: <laughs> Yeah it's really good, man. It's really good. Uh, he continues. I'm, I'm skipping a ways through, right? We got about t- 10, oh, maybe it's like 12 pages to go through here. So I'm, I'm skipping paragraphs where necessary just to not okay. be reading every single word. Uh, so he continues. Intellectuals, and, and I'm not also not telling you every time he does the scare quotes or yeah, the scare no, I italics. Can hear, I because can hear it in your voice. not <laughs> I'm trying to do it through inflection intellectuals are fond of mouthing cliches like the conspiracy theory is often tempting however it is overly simplistic to ascribe absolutely everything that happens to the machinations of a small group of power hungry conspirators is overly simplistic but in our opinion nothing is more simplistic than doggedly holding on to the accidental view of major world events Mm. in most cases liberals simply accuse all those who discuss the conspiracy of being paranoid Ah, you right-wingers, they say, rustling every bush, kicking over every rock, looking for imaginary boogeymen. Then comes the coup de grace, labeling the conspiratorial theory as the devil theory of history. The Mm. liberals love that one. Even though it's an empty phrase, it sounds so sophisticated. It is is an empty phrase, and it does not sound sophisticated. It's It's also a a phrase I'm sure nobody
1: has ever fucking used. Yeah, anybody's ever said those (laughs) words. Um, It is interesting, though, because, uh, you know... Mm. A lot of, not to get too conspiratorial, but a lot of conspiracies <laughs> do turn out to be real or like at least to have a basis in facts. Like th- this isn't, to, to make fun of this is not to say that you shouldn't question official narratives because official narratives are often flawed. And like the CIA did a bunch of shit that everyone was like, no way could the CIA do that. And then 50 years later, it's like, we're releasing details on how the CIA did exactly that. So like, you know. To be conspiratorial, ipso facto, isn't bad necessarily. To be conspiratorial in the face of the facts, maybe
0: it is. Well, I would say that, that I think you're assuming that what he's going to be positing throughout this book is individual conspiracies. Mm. And I think it's important to note he's not talking about individual conspiracies. He's talking about there is one conspiracy. Okay. There is a group that controls everything, better.
1: Yeah, that's not great.
0: Everything. He's not talking about, you know, uh, a group of uh, Nixon advisors broke into a building and did some shady shit. There was a conspiracy there and they tried to cover it up, right? He's mm. not talking about real conspiracies that do happen. He's talking about everything's a conspiracy. <laughs> that's That's what comes through in this. Yeah, okay. And that starts to be highlighted a little better when we get to this next paragraph where he says... It is not true, however, to state that there are no members of the intellectual elite who subscribe to conspiratorial theory of history. For example, there is Professor Carol Quigley of the Foreign Service School at Georgetown University. Professor Quigley can hardly be accused of being a right-wing extremist, and in parenthetical, those three words have been made inseparable by the mass media. Dr. Quigley has all the liberal credentials having taught at the liberal establishment's academic meccas of Princeton and Harvard. In his 1,350-page, five-pound tome, Tragedy and Hope, Dr. Quigley reveals the existence of the conspiratorial network, which will be discussed in this book. The professor is not merely formulating a theory, but revealing this network's existence from first-hand experience. He also makes it clear that it is only the network's secrecy and not their goals to which he objects. Professor Quigley discloses, quote, I know of the operations of this network because I have studied it for 20 years and was permitted for two years in the early 1960s to examine its papers and secret records. I have no aversion to it, and this is all uppercase from here on, I have no aversion to it or to most of its aims and have for much of my life been close to it and to many of its instruments. I have objected both in the past and recently to a few of its policies, but in general my chief difference of opinion is that it wishes to remain unknown. And I believe its role in history is significant enough to be known. Mm. So Benedict, this takes us down a rabbit hole. So. It does.
1: It does. I would. I, I just. Uh, I've, I've had a look at, uh, at Carol's Wikipedia page, and it mm-hmm. says he distanced himself dramatically from uh, from what what our man said.
0: Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, he very he he knew of this book and said it was complete horseshit, basically. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> So Carol Quigley, right, was a real person, a real professor, Princeton, Harvard, Georgetown, all these different places, and did write this book called Tragedy and Hope. This is a real thing. And there were multiple conspiracy theorists who seized upon this as the proof that this giant conspiracy they thought existed was real, right? And what Quigley was writing about was this group called the Milner Group, which was basically a cartel, right? Because... Quigley was not studying the giant, massive communist conspiracy. Quigley was studying banking cartels, which are a real fucking thing, right? Sure. (laughs) So there's this real group called the the Milner Group, and it was started by Cecil Rhodes, who we've talked about recently, obviously, and uh, uh, a bunch of other uh, large, rich people, right? And... In general, this group was uh, trying to, you know, make themselves richer. That was the general goal. And they were also, and actually, here's here's what I'll do. We read the quote that uh, uh, Mr. Allen put in the book from Carol Quigley. Now allow me to read the part right before what he put in, which is often all we have to do. <laughs> and it goes, quote, the radical right fairy tale, which is now an accepted folk myth in many groups in America, pictured the recent history of the United States in regard to domestic reform and in foreign affairs as a well-organized plot by extreme left-wing elements. This myth, like all fables, does in fact have a modicum of truth. There does exist and has existed for a generation, an international Anglophile network, which operates to some extent in the way the radical right believes the Communists Act. <laughs> cool. So basically, quickly, and, and it continues on, and it, it is the very quote that, uh, that uh, Gary Allen pulls out. He, he was actually saying, it's the exact opposite, you fucking idiot. It, it is not that, yeah. <laughs> it's a group pushing the opposite of communism. Good stuff. So Gary Allen continues on. There are a number of problems to be overcome in convincing a person of the possible existence of a conspiratorial clique of insiders, who from the various—and I should note that throughout the rest of this book, insiders is italicized every fucking time for no goddamn reason. He just keeps (laughs) italicizing insiders, and I love that. From the very highest levels manipulate government policy. In this case, truth is really stranger than fiction. We are dealing with history's greatest whodunit— a mystery thriller which puts Earl Stanley Gardner to shame. (laughs) Earl Stanley Gardner wrote, uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember exactly. I, I looked it up when I read it the first time, but he wrote like a mystery series of like detective novels, right? Okay.
1: Perry Mason. He wrote Perry Mason.
0: Perry Mason. Perry Mason. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you do study this network of which Professor Quigley speaks, you will find that what had at first seemed incredible not only exists, but heavily influences our lives. It must be remembered that the first job of any conspiracy, whether it be in politics, crime, or within a business office, is to convince everyone else that no conspiracy exists. So, very much a deep state. Yeah, it's like,
1: you can't prove me wrong, so... And that's what they want you to think.
0: You know, the media's in on it, they're covering up for it, all the same stuff. I just keep drawing parallels, from all this, and I, I promise you all, the conspiracy gets more intense in the the later chapters, right? This is just the introduction chapter, the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, it's, I, I'm just fascinated by all the parallels I see in this to things I read every damn day on Twitter and every time I watch right wing media. It's just mm-hmm. this is all the damn same. So he continues. Probably at some time you've been involved with or had personal knowledge of some event which was reported in the news. Perhaps it concerned an athletic event, an election, a committee, or your business. Did the report contain the real story? The story behind the story? Probably not, and for a variety of reasons. The reporter had time and space problems, and there is a good ch- And then he goes into a reasonable explanation of why that would happen. Why are you doing that? Stop You're it. supposed to be saying it's a conspiracy yeah you bastard <laughs> he really does just go into a reason uh, the reporter had problems. you know there's informational differences the reporter might have been prejudiced by their own uh beliefs into what they thought the facts were that mattered blah 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 i mean what the fuck are you doing <laughs> this, this cuts <laughs> against everything you believe it's a conspiracy the this reporter is something has to be something in on that it.
1: the right wing no longer does is like contradict <laughs> themselves while they're talking that's good
0: uh, do, do they do they though
1: well going back sometimes does that that's true yeah
0: Anyways, he continues. Psychological problems are also involved in inducing people to look at the evidence concerning the insiders. Mm. I got I to give that a voice since it has that creepy italics every time he does it. I have to do an insider's voice. Yeah. People are usually comfortable with their old beliefs and conceptions. When Columbus told people the world was a ball and not a pancake, they were highly upset. They were. That's <laughs> not wrong. You fucking Protestant douchebag. Uh, they were being asked to reject their way of thinking of a lifetime and adopt a whole new outlook. The intellectuals of the day scoffed at Columbus. It's actually not true, afraid. by
1: the way. People knew I the know. world was round already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, like, that, that's one of my favorite things, right, is whenever anybody who thinks that they have some uh, extremely important thing that differs from what everyone knows to be true, they always go to something like Columbus and the world being round Despite the fact that that's absolutely not true. No, it was uh, it was common. And yeah, exactly. Basically, I, I look, I looked, of course, you know me. I looked it up when I did my first read through just to get like the basic and the first like it started in the uh, the 1700s with Protestants shitting on Catholics. Right. That's yeah. what it was all about. It was just Protestants shitting on Catholics. Yeah,
1: that's all it always
0: is. I'm trying to say they were backwards. Right. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, These same factors apply today because the establishment controls the media. Establishment controls the media. Anyone exposing the insiders will be the recipient of a continuous fusillade of invective from newspapers, magazines, TV, and radio. Donald Trump. In this manner, one is threatened with the loss of social respectability. If he dares broach the idea that there is organization behind any of the problems currently racking America. Unfortunately for many people, social status comes before intellectual honesty. Although they would never admit it, social position is more important to many people than is the survival of freedom in America. So it's another example, right, of knocking down the detractors, or I I think he believes, here's the thing, I think Gary Allen believes he has more detractors than he actually does, Mm. because in reality, nobody gave a fuck who Gary Allen was or what he was saying, right? (laughs) You'd never heard of this fucking guy. No, and even today, it's just the fringe who even knows of his existence, right? Yeah. He's, he's up there with like W. Cleon Skousen, who <laughs> I think we talked about a while back, who's that yeah, uh, yeah, that Mormon right-wing yeah, conspiracy yeah, yeah. theorist guy who uh, Glenn Beck likes and, uh, yeah, and yeah. a lot of, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's up there with those people. But even at the time, right, nobody gave a fuck who Gary Allen was. No. I mean, no, nobody cared, and nobody was taking the time to argue with it. And I think it really hurt him that nobody wanted to argue with him about his obvious bullshit. <laughs> the feeling I get of of how much time he spends in this first chapter arguing about how all these obvious non-arguments against him are wrong is that he's mad that nobody's actually taking the time to deal with all his bullshit, right? And that's why a while back I read that passage where it talked about, in addition to the uh, ridicule and satire, obviously, that just ignoring it was part of how they tried to deal with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, it's not great. but also here right the, the the social respectability thing right it's that argument that you know you're wrong you just don't want to admit it which yeah we hear a yeah. lot too that's true so you continue we only have two paragraphs left in the chapter we're almost done so he says one thing which makes it so hard for some socially minded people to ac- assess the conspiratorial evidence objectively is that the conspirators come from the very highest social strata They are immensely wealthy, highly educated, and extremely cultured. Many of them have lifelong reputations for philanthropy. Nobody enjoys being put in the position of accusing prominent people of conspiring to enslave their fellow Americans. But the facts are inescapable. Many business and professional people are particularly vulnerable to the don't jeopardize your social respectability pitch given by those who don't want the conspiracy exposed. The insiders know—I I missed it—the insiders know that if the business and professional community will not take a stand to save the private enterprise system, the socialism through which they intend to control the world will be inevitable. They believe that most business and professional men are too shallow and decadent, too status conscious, too tied up in the problems of their jobs and businesses to worry about what is going on in politics. These men are told that it might be bad for business or jeopardize their government contracts if they take a stand. They have been bribed into silence with their own tax monies. And the final paragraph. We are hoping that the conspirators have underestimated the courage and patriotism remaining in the American people. We feel there are a sufficient number of you who are not mesmerized by the television set, who put God, family, and country above social status who will band together to expose and destroy the conspiracy of the insiders. The philosopher Diogenes scoured the length and breadth of ancient Greece for an honest man. (laughs) We are scouring the length and breadth of America in search of hundreds of thousands of intellectually honest men and women who are willing to investigate the facts and come to logical conclusions, no matter how unpleasant those conclusions may be. End of the first chapter of None right. Dare Call It Conspiracy. And Benedict, chapter two, I just want to tell you, is titled, Socialism, Royal Road to Power for the Super Rich. Good stuff. That's you very, know how it's often, very Beckian. You know how often the super rich make it out really well in what uh, Gary Allen thinks socialism means?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, lots of people made it out very well in Soviet Russia, so...
0: Yeah. A lot of those are people who got rich after the socialism thing That's started. Yeah, yeah. I, they, I they think he's to out for the already rich. That's true. Right. Didn't, didn't go well. Uh, a lot of guillotine action, a lot of mm-hmm. guillotine action going on. So exactly better than like action. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff going. And, uh, so I, I think this book is going to be a lot of fun as we start going through it. Like I mentioned, uh, the patron only bonus episode is going to be on this book. We're going to get it into it. I think we might do two chapters. We might knock them out in the patron only bonus. Um, and, I mean, there's there's some stuff in here. I've, I've read most of it already uh, because, you know, I buy these things. I hang on to them and I read them. We get into some William Jennings Bryan stuff. Mm. We get into – oh, it's, it, there's so much good in here, Benedict. There's so much you're going to love, and I know it's just going to make you squeal. Um, Great. It, it's just outstanding. It's Can't just wait. really outstanding. So, Benedict, before we sign off for the day and uh, – uh, Pay tribute to our socialist overlords who are forcing us to debunk, debunk this, obviously, because we know we, we can't allow Gary Allen to stand as the intellectual light that he is. Uh, what are your hopes? What are your hopes for this book?
1: Oh, I don't know. I hope, uh, I, I hope to find a conspiracy that I can go,
0: eh, maybe. <laughs> I think you already sort of did that in the first yeah, chapter. Yeah, a little bit. I love that, I, and I think that's so key to how these people thrive, right? Because uh, you don't you don't listen to uh, and and I, you know uh, I've I've tried to get you to listen several times in the past uh, to Knowledge Fight, which is the podcast that covers Alex Jones, which that's I true. love. I think those I guys are fantastic. They were in
1: the New York Times recently.
0: I know they were. They were, and, uh, really and cool uh, good on them. They yep. they do amazing work. I think everyone should check them out. Um, but uh, I listen to that religiously. I've listened to every single episode, and so I've had you know. Hundreds of hours of Alex Jones pumped into my ears. Uh, and the, the sort of things that you hear from him are very eerily reminiscent of this. And I think there's a lot of strategies related to getting people to believe your conspiracy bullshit. And part of it is that playing the reasonable man at the beginning that we heard right up front there, right? Pointing mm-hmm. out problems with both sides. If you look back at the beginning of Alex Jones's career, right? Right up until even before 2016, he hated the Republican Party as much as he hated the Democrats. It was all just hate on both sides. Yep. Although obviously he aligned with the Republicans much more, uh, pretending that, that he was this some sort of uh, third way, Uh, which I think is a lot of what goes into this. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that as we go through this book, all right? I'm excited to get into it. I think it's going to be really interesting, really elucidating, uh, and I think we're going to learn a lot from it. So, if you want to hear more of that coming up real soon, we're going to have the patron-only bonus episode coming out later this week, uh, probably right around the weekend, as soon as we get time to record it. So that'll be available. You'll get a couple more chapters of this from us. And, uh that's it. That's all we have for this week. And because I don't have everything pulled up in front of me as I should, there we go. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. (laughs) Remember, I'm struggling today. It's been a very long day. I'm in, I'm in my final two weeks of law school. Uh, So as you can imagine, things are coming to an end and I'm uh, also, it's the end of a semester. So like any good law student, I'm, I'm scrambling to get things done. I should have done much earlier uh, in the semester. So, Anyways, uh, if you can't get enough of us, go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. For patron-only episode, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Dexter, Allison, Corey Bidding, Megan Ruth, Rung the Deceiver, Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimick. A.J. Brantley, Taro DeCannon, Skeptical7th, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, I don't have one. Goodbye.